And that's what native fashion is. It's the influence of culture onto contemporary clothing, onto clothing that was forced upon us. We didn't ask for this. We didn't want this. It was forced upon us. So here we are finding a balance in today's world. Hello, and welcome to Art Restart, where we explore how artists are reinventing their fields and building a new landscape for the arts. I'm Pierre Carlo Talenti, the producer and editor of this podcast, which is brought to you by the Thomas S. Keenan Institute for the Arts at the University of North Carolina School of the Arts. In this episode, we'll be speaking with fashion designer Norma Baker Flying Horse, whose company bears her given native name, Redberry Woman. Redberry Woman's designs are the stuff of fashion runway dreams. They display the sophistication, impeccable tailoring, and gorgeous lines of her fashion idols, including Chanel and McQueen. But what makes them exceptional is that they incorporate gorgeous details that bespeak her native heritage. Norma is a member of the Hidatsa, Dakota Sioux, and Assiniboine tribes, and her creations often bear designs from these cultures rendered via traditional techniques, including intricate beadwork, appliques of smoked hide, sometimes even feathers or shells, and all in a spectacular color palette. Norma's been designing bespoke pieces in and for her community for years, but recently her reach has gone national and international. She showed at Paris Fashion Week in 2019. In 2022, she won Designer of the Year at Phoenix Fashion Week, and was also the co-recipient of a Cultural Recognition Visual Arts Grammy. And just in the past year, Miss Minnesota wore a red berry woman gown in the Miss America pageant. Norma spoke to me from her home studio in the Fort Berthold Indian Reservation in North Dakota. I started by asking her to describe her favorite recent dress and to explain what went into its creation. It's so hard to decide which piece is my favorite, but I'm going to be honest with you. The one that was that took this year's prize, I think I've won every year, is the Miss America pageant dress. She's from Minnesota, and so she she was competing, and she calls me up and she says, I really want to wear one of your gowns because I'm wearing something that's going to be orange, which represents the uh, movement that's happening for the boarding schools up in Canada right now. The indigenous people are discovering, you know, our relatives that were, that were murdered. And so the color orange represents that movement of bringing them home, uh, the, the family members that were um, lost to these boarding schools and two, looking for a way to um, hold people accountable because crazy enough is there are people still alive that used to work in these boarding schools. They're very elderly, but they're still alive. And so that tells you how recent that trauma to our people was. So that was awesome that she wore a dress to represent that on the stage. And um, the breastplate of the dress is a smoke hide. And that's predominantly used throughout um, my my cultural attire as well as hers because she comes from the Lakota tribe. She's actually a member of the Standing Rock Sioux tribe. I'm from D- the Dakota Sioux tribe, which is from Montana, Fort Peck, Montana. And so I did Dakota florals on the front and it just, I loved it so much because it represented something that we all knew was happening as Indigenous people, but it was so traumatizing to talk about that it took actually getting to see 
proof of what was going on. And so I, I just wish everyone had known that was there exactly why she wore that color. But, you know, that's why social media is so great because you can, you know, send your message out there and it can reach so many people. And it did. She did such a fabulous job. I thought she should have won, but I'm being biased, you know, so <laughs> <laughs> um, she's, she's fantastic in every way. So that was my favorite, favorite piece. And to see her standing on the Miss America stage, wearing something that I had made, that's the closest to the crown that I think I'm ever going to get, but it's probably the closest to the crown that ever I probably would have ever gotten. <laughs> so I love pageants. I've been watching Miss America since I was a little girl. So to see my work on the stage was like surreal. <laughs> and then how, how long did it take you to make it? And do you work alone or do you have a team helping you? A lot of pieces I do work alone. Um, a few pieces I will recruit my sisters, my my mother, my daughters, because I come from a family of artists. I, I don't think I know anybody in our family that doesn't know, that doesn't take part in some way of our cultural doings. My mother married a gentleman from here that um, had children prior to their marriage. And so even his children too are well the inverse, you know, diverse into the, the culture here. And so it's one of those things where like, you just naturally do it because it's something that you've been taught since you were a little girl. And so for me, I do things on my own and being the eldest of the family and being a mother and, you know, just being <laughs> the type of person that I am, it's hard for me to ask for help. It's hard for me to trust people <laughs> to do things the way I want them done. So I stress out and practically kill myself <laughs> trying to get things done. The dress took about, about two, almost three months, just with everything else I had going on. At the same time, I had another dress go to the NFL honors. Um, it was worn on the red carpet by the designer of the Super Bowl theme this year. Who was a guest on this podcast two years ago. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah. she's fantastic. So I mean, like that was going on. And she it was funny because we did her like so last minute. But it was after I met her, it was like, oh, I just knew exactly what I wanted to do for her because she's such a bright spirit. So it was fan fantastic. But I had so much going on that. And then I was pregnant. I was eight months pregnant and a little over eight months pregnant. And what had happened was I, the doctor said, you know what, you need to go in. We're going to schedule you for a C-section because my daughter was, she was pretty uh, well developed, I guess. And <laughs> she was, she was getting a little big, so she needed to be evicted. So, um, so they put me down for a surgery. I had surgery. I was in the hospital for a day. I get out and I literally am back in my studio finishing the Miss America dress. Oh. <laughs> Holy like, crap. Yeah, I was like, can someone watch this baby real quick? I have to get back to work. <laughs> you got sewn up and immediately you started sewing something. I did. I was like, if I could have sewn myself up any faster, I probably would have. I'm like, did my, I'm like if, if, I have my sewing case in the car. Don't worry. <laughs> So I want to go back. You say you come from a, a family of artists. When did your interest in fashion begin? And also, at what point did you realize you wanted to marry your interest in indigenous designs with your developing hmm. fashion sense? Hmm. I think it's always been there. I don't think my love for fashion really began. It's just always been there. When I was little, I lived with my grandparents. And that's a typical, that's a cultural thing. Um, about, among our people is the grandparents have the right to ask for your eldest child. And I am my mother's eldest child. And so, of course, they asked to keep me because she wanted to finish school and they thought that was their way of making that easier for her. So um, I stayed with them and I grew up out in the country. Uh, my grandpa was a rancher 
Uh, he's a Hidatsa from here, from this reservation here in North Dakota. My grandmother is a Dakota Sioux from Fort Peck, Montana. So I grew up around horses and cows and hay, and somehow in the mix, I still found a way to wear toy high heels. <laughs> You know, my grandmother was like, no, you can't wear those shoes out there. You're going to be chasing uh, chasing cows. No, you know, and I'd be little just standing there like still so defiant. Like, I don't care if I'm chasing a cow today. I'm wearing these heels. <laughs> so that's how much into fashion I was, such even as a little girl. And, you know, I'm an upcycler when it comes to making my designs. I grew up on secondhand clothing. And that was due to the fact that after I left my, my grandparents, I went to live with my parents. And we were um, living on army bases because my my father, my stepfather, um, we don't have a word for step. So it's really, it feels unnatural to say step because he's raised me since I was about, you know, since I was a little girl, since, you know, him and my mother got together when I was about a year old, but they went off to school and finished school and I was with my grandparents. So it was nuts because I, living in, in, in on the army base, you know, you're not really around too much culture because we lived in areas where um, indigenous culture was not predominant. It wasn't the reservation. And it was, it was a little hard. I'd always be asking my mom, like, when are we going to go dance? When are we going to go do this? You know, and, and we were so far away, like we were even up in Alaska. And although they have their own cultural practices, they're not the same as the plains, but somehow we ended up finding a powwow. <laughs> and, in Alaska? Um, I, I, yeah. And it was the tiniest little thing, but I'll take it. I was happy. I was like, I was just wanting to dance. You know, I didn't care. It was kind of difficult, but that's how far back I've been immersed into the culture is like just straight from birth. My grandfather, Norman Baker, who I'm named after, um, was one of the original Mandarin singers, the drum group that would travel to powwows and, and sing and make songs for people. So he was really well known as well as his, his brothers in the powwow world, in the cultural powwow world, the, the, our practices. And so my mother grew up in that and grew up being taught how to sew and bead by her mother. And of course, she passed that on to me. And then, of course, I was fortunate enough to even have my grandmother until I was about 17 and during that time from like 11 till when she had passed, she was teaching me everything she could teach me about beadwork and sewing and all this and quilting. I'm not a great quilter, but my sister picked up the quilting. <laughs> and then my other sister picked up her perfection habits. <laughs> She's very a perfectionist. And I picked up where just get it done. We got to get it. We got to get moving. We got to get going. You know what I mean? <laughs> just get it done. So when, so clearly since, since as a small child wearing high heels out in the pastures, <laughs> you liked, you liked high fashion and you're also learning beadwork. So at what point did you realize, Hey, wait a minute, these two things can go together. Oh no, I didn't realize that we've been doing native fashion. Our ancestors did native fashion. I grew up adding like beadwork to like beaded earrings or a beaded bracelet Little things like that, you know, that were representational of the tribes that I came from. And I would wear them to school. And a lot of times these pieces were... That's what you mean by the upcycling? Right. Well, no, the upcycling was the... Um, I would take like... I, we bought secondhand clothing and we would just put like, you know, just jewelry to it. Back in the day, it was just jewelry. No one really altered their clothing, their contemporary clothing back then. There may have been a few people, you know, that were were doing it i'm sure there were but i mean no one was really putting it on the runway like the way they do it now it's something that's definitely been there that we've had forever 
um, the ability to influence contemporary fashion with our culture. The women in our tribes, you know, they would wear the pea coats that they were forced to wear, basically, you know, the, the contemporary clothing we were forced to wear. And they would see the brooches that the non-native women were wearing on their outfits. And so, of course, we we can't afford pearls and things like that. And so our ancestors who were were st- extremely inventive, they would make their own little jewelry to mimic the jewelry, the contemporary jewelry they were seeing on non-natives. And so that was a form of native fashion. And that's what native fashion is. It's the influence of culture onto contemporary clothing, onto clothing that was forced upon us. We didn't ask for this. We didn't want this. It was forced upon us. So here we are finding a balance in today's world. You know, I still put on a full regalia beadwork from head to toe, you know, and, and my family as well. But it took our ancestors dying to protect the items that we had and to teach these teachings to us to to make these things. And so for me, it just kind of evolved where I got into, I guess, pageants, uh, the pageant ladies. I had a, I had a phone call from Miss Indian World, Cheyenne Brady. This was back um, some years ago. I'd say about like eight years ago now. And she says, you know, I have to do a speaking engagement. And I, I was wondering if you can make the ribbon dress. And the ribbon dress is a common dress among many tribes because the ribbon was a trade item from China. And so when, you know, settlers were coming over, they were trading us and we were getting this ribbon and we began to wear, make these skirts, colorful, very colorful skirts, not skirts, excuse me, dresses. They were full dresses. Now you see us wearing them as skirts. And again, that's native fashion, you know, but she had called me and asked me. And so what I had done was I actually started doing design work on stuff I was making for her and her being so out on social media, people started noticing my work. And so then I started putting my designs on, you know, oh, hey, can you make me a shirt? I'm speaking at this engagement over here or this, that. I would love to wear your shirt. I'd love to wear your designs. And so that's how that went. And pretty soon I was dressing a lot of people. <laughs> and so... So I want to talk about you creating your business now because your work is going out farther into the world and may not always be necessarily worn by a Native woman Mm -hmm. or Native person. And since you're talking about telling stories through your work, how can you ensure... Mm -hmm. Because of course, as you know, when Native art has gone out into the larger market it often has not gone well for the native artists. Mm -hmm, So I guess mm -hmm, my question mm -hmm. is, how are you going to ensure you retain control not only of your work, of course, but also of this, of the stories that come with your art making? I can't. Oh. No one can. No one can. Chanel can't. Versace couldn't. I mean, no one can take what they put out in the world and guarantee that it's going to be received well or that it's going to be passed on properly. You just have to take that chance and you have to do your best to try to educate those that you're selling to, that you're giving these things to. I mean, so if you go to my Instagram, you'll find links that are talk about appropriation um, that talk about, you know, why it is okay for you to purchase from me, you know, things like that. And I wish everybody read, I wish everybody would read, would stop and read, but I get it. I get it. Life is happening. You don't always have that time to read all this information. I get it. But make that effort. If you like someone's work and you, and you want to support them and realize that by buying something from them, you are supporting them. 
and that's amazing. And you have, and people need to realize that not just buying a piece supports somebody, but knowing what it means and what it is and helping us to educate someone after that. Let's say we have a non-native woman and this has happened. You know, she buys a shirt from my website and um, it's one of the Hidatsa collection. Um, and she turns around and tells people, this is from the Hidatsa tribe. They are located in North Dakota. You know what I mean? So, I mean, like just that little bit, I mean, it's amazing how much little bit of information, if we start sharing it and if we stop attacking people for not knowing the information, I mean, people need to realize Native Americans, we're, we've gone through so much trauma. I'm amazed we're as calm as we are. I'm going to be honest with you. (laughs) (laughs) What's been in your business journey? What's been the steepest learning curve for you? What, what have you really had to learn from scratch that really you, you were in control of your art, but what did you have to learn about the business? Oh God, everything. And I'm still learning it. I, you know, I sat down two years ago after leaving the tribal government, I was a tribal staffer for our tribal uh, chairman and and for another um, individual who was on the council. And I had served- oh, so your business is really only two years old now. Yeah, yeah. I've been doing wow. this on the side. I've been doing this on the side uh, after uh, while doing a full time political job. Okay, so tell me tell me about the decision to quit the full time job and go full scale into the business. That's a big decision. Unfortunately, I didn't decide to quit. I was fired. So, um, oh. yeah, <laughs> congratulations. But I say this not in bitterness. I say this as in God damn. It took me getting fired. <laughs> to uh-huh. really go do what I wanted to do, you know, and um, I won't go into details. Uh, it's okay, it's right. a pretty, um, it's, it really, it, it, I have to say that it, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I will argue this in any court that I, it was no wrongdoing on my part, but unfortunately um, when you're politically appointed and if you upset someone who appoint you, um, they can unappoint you. <laughs> so so it wasn't anything dramatic or criminal charges or anything like that. I was never let go for anything like that. It was um, a personal thing between myself and my ex-employer, who unfortunately was a friend of mine, and, and it just took a toll. Tribal politics are are not fun. They are not fun. Very bad business to be in when you're trying to run a, another business. <laughs> so I stayed pretty busy. Having to do my business after hours, you know, being up all night and then having the next day have to go to work. It was hard. It was really difficult. And I didn't really start selling items until recently, until two years ago. But up until that point, I was basically doing things for free, just getting my name out there, traveling to fashion shows and paying my dues, you know, and I this didn't happen overnight for me. It literally hasn't happened at all. I'm still learning. <laughs> Like I, I can show you a ton of awards, but I'm still, I'm still learning my business. I'm still trying to make my business work for me. And I definitely want to make it so that I'm leaving something tangible for my children. Cause so far my mission was to leave the ability to do what I do with them. And now they all have that. And I've always told my children what my grandmother and mother always said that if you have this talent, then you shouldn't be going hungry and you shouldn't be going without. Oh, so you have taught your children the way your grandmother taught you? Mm-hmm. Yes. They all, they, my kids have all, my all, my kids can all sew and bead. Did they do it willingly or was it homework? Uh, <laughs> I have one that does it willingly and the other ones are, they're like, yeah, but they're, they're such good kids that they would never tell me if they were annoyed with me. So... <laughs> 
what are your dreams for the business now that you're two years in and you're you've shown internationally now? What do you have a big picture dream of um, where you want your designs to be? I want them to be everywhere, and I want to be able to learn this business well enough. Thank God for TikTok, <laughs> and thank God for YouTube. I've I did a lot of uh, researching from other entrepreneurs on how to set things up with like my website. How do I do that? How do I get the shipping? All of those little things that people do not realize take time to have a business. In order to have a business, you have to have certain things. And you just, did you have a mentor for that? Or did you just research that on your own? I researched everything on my own. I literally found people on TikTok um, who were doing these things and were giving advice like, don't buy this one, don't buy this printer, you know, I like this one instead, things like that. It just so helped, you know, it expedited so much time for me. And so whenever I would get a little bit of information from whoever it was, I didn't, it didn't matter who it was on TikTok. I, if they had a, a link to, for me to send a few bucks, I would try to send some coffee money their way and say, thank you. You know, cause you just saved me like weeks of researching and weeks of frustration, <laughs> you know, probably sitting at my table crying, trying to figure things out. So I always wanted to send them a little something. It's not much, but, you know, just know that they are appreciated for putting that information out there, you know, and to teach others how to do what they're doing. I think it's wonderful. So, and I don't know if I would have a business if I weren't for TikTok, (laughs) because I'm definitely not going to business school. So, On this podcast, I like to talk about how artists are reinventing systems that no longer work Mm. so that their art can reach a wider audience. In your case- As you look back on your artistic journey and your business journey, what could be invented or changed so that it would be easier for you for your art to reach your intended audience? Oh, dear. Um, Well, the price of clothing here in the States to manufacture clothing, for one thing. Meaning you had no no choice but to work with an overseas vendor. Yeah, I I, I would not choose a foreign vendor if I had a, a, a better alternative because the time it takes to get from them. I have nothing against their product. I mean, they always have such good product, but the time, you know, that it takes, uh, it's difficult. And it's difficult for me to convey that to people who have been shopping on Amazon since the pandemic, you know, and think that things are so readily available like that. And they're not. I keep meaning to put together like a whole, I guess, video showing people like, this is what I do. This is who, but I really don't have the time to even tell or educate people on that because I'm so busy doing the work, (laughs) you know? So, and once in a while I have more help, but yeah, people don't realize the work that it goes into having to run a business by yourself, a small business, even with people helping you, it's hard. It's a lot of work. And so for me doing it alone with help that comes sporadically, yeah, I don't, I, I, there are days I just want to quit. I just, I, I really do want to quit and be like, you know what? I think I've done enough. I've got to, I've, <laughs> I've got to grab me. I'm good. <laughs> I'll go get a job at the bank. <laughs> I've done all I can do. Um, but I keep pushing because I keep thinking like, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to figure, do this. I'm going to make things work. I'm going to, uh, you know, and it's, it's, I love it. It's the stress everything, it becomes worth it when, you know, people message me and say, I love your clothing. I love your designs. 
every time I feel like I'm going to quit, I am not kidding. It, and I don't know if this is my grandma or the creator or who it is, but every time I feel like I'm at that point, I'm going to quit now. This is it. I'm done. I cannot take it anymore because I'm too stressed, especially lately with a baby, a new baby. I get a message from like a random person who will be like, I just want you to know you're doing great things. And I'm so happy for you that you're doing, you're getting these awards and I love your designs. Keep it up. Keep the good work up. And it just brings me to tears because I, it's like I, I, I get those messages right when I need them, which isn't too often, but you know, I, I haven't really gotten to the point of breaking down too often, <laughs> which I guess is good. So I love it, the, the support. And then finally, could you talk about a, a new or planned design that you're particularly excited about or a new line? Oh, gosh, yes. I, I have actually like about three or four, I think, um, four if we can do it, if we can manage it. And when I say me, I mean the people that I'm going to I'm going to um, harass to help me because um, <laughs> I do have a few people that <laughs> are like, eh, we'll just do it. I have about four launches, four collections going to be coming out, rolling out here. So, and yeah, I have a lot of time to make up for because a lot of my time went into, um, of course, having a baby and doing a lot of custom work for a lot of people for awards and whatnot. So I got a lot of catching up to do since the baby and all that. So we're going to be releasing quite a few collections just trying to keep it going here because and there's one in particular that i'm super excited for um which will probably uh, we're shooting for end of july on this one and it's going to tell the story of the star quilt so i'm really um excited i don't want to say too much more than that but um yeah, it's 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 because you know I was about to ask you for the story of the Star Quilt, but it sounds like I should <laughs> wait to see the designs. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. Yeah, it'll definitely come out with the designs. And okay. um, like I said, you know, things probably have a story behind things, and I'm not expecting people to know exactly how to tell stories, you know, passing on, but at least know the tribe that it comes from and the purpose that it was created, you know, and who it's honoring because. Nine times out of ten, if I'm making garments to sell, it has it has a meaning behind it. It has something kind of influence. The women in my family, almost everyone I know, including my siblings, my two sisters, they know how to quilt. They're quilters. And my mother put herself through college quilting. She would quilt on the weekends, and then she'd go to school a week, and she would you know get scholarships. And so between scholarships and and quilting, she was able to pay for her college, and she was able to get a small car. So quilting has, and then we use quilts to honor people left and right. So, so it's, it's definitely a story that a lot of people don't get to hear too often. And I'm pretty excited that I have the people coming on board to help me execute this and, and hopefully do it justice and hopefully pay some, some respect to our quilters because our quilters are amazing. So I just, and when we use quilts for everything for it, and it's such an honor to get one from someone. So they mean something culturally to us. We took a, took that medium and we um, made it our own. And so I'm pretty excited to, sh- to share that story of where that comes from and why you see so many quotes among so many tribes, you know, and what they mean to us. So if you'd like to learn more about Norma and read a longer written version of this interview, just head to uncsa.edu slash art restart. If you know an artist, changemaker, wherever you happen to live that you'd love for us to profile, please let me know. You can find me on Instagram at PCTalenti. And we really rely on your word of mouth to reach new listeners, so please tell a friend about Art Restart or leave us a review or rating wherever you get your podcasts. We would so appreciate it. 
Our theme music is by Shanghai Restoration Project. I'm Piercarlo Talenti, and on behalf of the Thomas S. Keenan Institute for the Arts, thank you for listening. <laughs>